Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. We'll decide. Oh, that's cute. Liz is cute. All right. What can I say? What can I say? All right. All right. All right. Hey there, and welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is Places We've Called Home. That means we will be sharing stories of ladies that are from or lived anywhere that we also lived for any period of time and considered a home. On today's episode, we will talk about Emily Helen Butterfield, who was the first female licensed architect in Michigan. I'm Lizzie Rahr, going salsa dancing tonight in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica and Nurjiti. Hi, I'm Nurjeri Rivas. I'm going to study a little bit after this in Houston, Texas. And I'm Jessica Rogers getting ready for a fish fry based out of Miami, Florida. It's that time of the episode again. Time for our disclaimer. The three of us are passionate about what we're doing, but we are not experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning. Okay, today, ladies, we are heading back to the mitten. I think I've mentioned it before. Get your (laughs) hand up. Get your Uh, hand up. I know this is a podcast, but we're going to be using hands a lot during this. Just (laughs) let it be known. (laughs) Um, I think I might have mentioned before that I'm from Michigan. And that's where my dad's side of the family is from. I wasn't actually born there. Fun fact, I was born in Florida, 
But when I was four years old, we moved to Holland, Michigan, on the west side of the state to be closer to family. And that's where I grew up and lived until going to college. I love, 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 love Michigan. And I can't wait to talk about another Michigander. Well, our story starts in Algonac, Michigan. Emily Helen Butterfield was born on August 4th, 1884. Okay, Lizzie, where are we on the hand? Yeah, I've never heard of Algonac. Who that? Yeah, me neither, but I also have a horrible sense of geography. And up until I met Lizzie, the only city in Michigan that I had ever heard of was Detroit. Fair enough. But Algonac is right here at the thumb joint of the mitten. It's about an hour north of Detroit. And like I said before, this is a podcast, but we are using our hands. So Michiganders will know what's up. That's how Michiganders do. So, you know, (laughs) But anyway, Emily was a troll, not a youper, guys. Let it be known. <laughs> a troll! Mm-hmm. All right. Just because well, I knew you guys were going to ask, so yeah, I had to yes. let you know. Yeah, trolls in this, on this show. We like mm-hmm. them trolls. Someday I hope we find a good youper to talk about, though. That'd be fun, you know? <laughs> She'll come. <laughs> She'll come. She'll come. So listeners, be sure to check out our social media uh, to see if there is, in fact, ocular evidence of these hand motions that we keep mentioning because we are doing some things <laughs> differently this season so Ooh. that's that's what's happening stay tuned <laughs> okay so emily's parents were wells Dwayne butterfield and helen hossie butterfield her mother was originally from sarnia in ontario in canada which is just across the saint Clair river from michigan and she was a school teacher her dad was from Algonac originally, and he was an architect. Oh, an architect in the family. Also, mm. what I do know in geography is that Canada is real close to Michigan. Well, am I the only one that thinks that Butterfield is the cutest last name ever? It is cute. It reminds me of Butterball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just sounds so wholesome. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We are in it's the Midwest. Cute. Uh, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so Emily had two younger brothers named Dwayne and Clayton. The family moved to Detroit in 1890 and Emily attended Detroit public schools. While she was growing up, Emily became very interested in art, being around her father. And when she was seven years old, she went to an art school for a while and she got to go with her dad and his friends on sketching trips, too. And she had a real love for watercolor in particular. Ooh, this sounds like so much fun. Like, I wish I could and do that. And sophisticated, don't you think? I know. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emily, and we're on sketching trips, drinking non-alcoholic wine and eating cheese. Right? <laughs> how I yes, think I'm she sure would introduce herself, exactly you know? Exactly <laughs> how it went. <laughs> she attended Central High School, and during her last few years, she was teaching art classes on the side. And then she graduated in January of 1903. Wait, so she taught while she was still in school? Like, that's mm-hmm. impressive. I can't imagine at 15 to 17 years old teaching anybody anything. I mean, all I wanted to do was get straight A's, watch TV, and sleep at least 12 hours a day. Amen. Right? I that's how I was, too. But, you know, I guess it wasn't TV and she liked art. So, I mean, yeah. I guess. OK, yeah. we see you, girl. But. 
All right, ladies, here's the real kicker, though. And another reason that I really wanted to talk about Emily this season, because after high school, she went to Syracuse University to study architecture. I mean, yeah, let's go orange. Wear my Syracuse sweatshirt. So also, I wanted to talk about this lady because I was going to do an episode on Syracuse and upstate New York. And I will say Emily's name kept coming up. But Lizzie, this lady was meant for you. Like you needed to tell this story. So I mean, we're the same person at this point, right? Yep, pretty much. Pretty much. Yep. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so Syracuse was actually pretty progressive, letting women attend from the very beginning of when it was founded in 1870. So Emily goes off to become one of the Syracuse Orange. Hey. Yeah. And she was very involved in various groups and clubs while she was there. She was in the Young Women's Christian Association, Kraus College French Club, Fine Arts Fake Years, and the Class Executive Committee. Okay, so the Syracuse Architecture Program must have been very different back then because... There's just like with what time did she like the architecture program, like (laughs) with all these curriculars. But, you know, it's nifty to know that Emily was into like all the things. Uh, I doubt that it was too different. I just think that Emily sounds like she needs to be busy at all times. Mm, Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to say which is the one that is. Mm. Who knows? I mean, yeah, we'll never know. Yeah. So the other thing that Emily did was she founded a sorority. She and 10 other women decided that they wanted to make a women's fraternity. There are a bunch of fraternities for men, right? So they figured women should also have the opportunity to have a group. And so the 11 of them founded the Alpha Gamma Delta sorority. See, Emily (laughs) needed to be busy at all times. So she founded the very first sorority at Syracuse. I mean, that is really, really cool. That is really cool. And it's exactly how you say energy. She had to be doing something. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Yes. But you know what? No, you do you. If you're on a roll, keep rolling. Yep, that's right. (laughs) So each woman brought her unique talents and creative abilities to the group. And their goal was to get together with like-minded women to grow and learn and also to contribute to the community. The sorority still exists today, and it has 198 chapters all over the world. Wow. Well, yeah. if I had known that in college, I might have been interested in this one. <laughs> right? Right. Okay, so sororities to me have always been really fascinating. If I had one regret in college was that I would have liked to at least look into it while we were in Syracuse. But if I would have known then what I know now, I would have definitely looked up this Alpha Gamma Delta. Mm. I wonder if the mission is still the same. It's mm. so interesting that it still exists and it grew so much. We should really look into it. Maybe it's a charrette. Mm. Mm. True. I think the mission is still the same or they they have like this. Um, they, it's called the purpose. And Emily was the writer of it. And I oh. think it's still like a part of the sorority today. Maybe I'll I just look into that more and talk about it in the wrap up. But Emily was also really into heraldry. And so she designed the heraldic armorial bearings of the sorority, which is a mouthful. What the F is heraldry? 
or heraldry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so many new words today. First it was Algonac. Now we've got heraldry. I'm like, I'm ready for the SATs, I think. <laughs> Well, actually, not yet, because someone has to explain what it is. So that's true. Well, I can know for the test. You know, we do, we really do be learning stuff on this show. Like, not just ladies, but just stuff. <laughs> so, a lot so, of facts. Great question. Facts. I had the same question. I was like, I need to look this up. So, my only experience with the word heraldry or like something adjacent to it is the song. The Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So, you know, didn't really know. But, okay. Okay. So, you know, like families or groups would have like a coat of arms. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's that's like a their herald, I guess. So but it, essentially heraldry is designing, regulating and studying these armorial bearings or like coats of arms. <laughs> Okay, so we're taking nerdum to like a whole other level. Like I never <laughs> would have thought of this for Emily. Like just level, like levels of nerdum. That's true, but I can see myself being into this. I'm not gonna lie. Like yeah. the whole history of it, it sounds fascinating. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. And like when families get married and then they like create a new one that's like a merging of the f- of the two coats of arms or stuff. I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, apparently Emily was very into this and she designed Alpha Gamma Delta's armorial bearing and several other fraternities as well. Also, spoiler Mm. alert, she writes a whole book about heraldry later in life. So it was a (laughs) real interest of hers. (laughs) Okay, I've got to look into this later. Right? It would be it would be interesting if it was like required reading for like all the sororities and fraternities out there. Oh, very but interesting. I, I don't know any sororities or fraternities that have required reading, but maybe I just don't know them. True. <laughs> I know nothing I don't know about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so Emily graduates from Syracuse in 1907 and returns to Michigan. She starts working at her father's firm in Detroit, and eventually she gets her license, making her the first licensed female architect in Michigan. I couldn't find the year that she was licensed, but everything I read lists her as the first woman. Go, Emily! Go, Cuse! Yeah. Yep, yep. Mm. yep. So, in 1912, she's working in Detroit. She starts meeting other businesswomen in Detroit, like Dr. Rhoda Farquharson, Emma Spoor, and Grace Wright. They started getting together on their lunch hours to talk about what they were going through as women in male-dominated industries and to network with other women. Okay, so I would totally want to do this. Also, they sound like superhero, like a superhero group. Like their their Clark Kent like names. Like that's Yes. That's That's true. But the lunch sounds fun. Sounds like ladies who lunch. Exactly. Well, they decided that they should form a luncheon club. Again, like the ones that men had during that time. And apparently Emily's dad was part of a club and he suggested that Emily start this one for women. He was really active in his social club and thought women should get to have one too since it was really helpful for him. So Emily, Grace, and Emma founded the Detroit Business Women's Club. Boom. I love it. 
I also like that her dad was the one that was encouraging this. Same. So the group grew and they tried to find ambitious women from lots of different professions. And it sounds like at first they tried to limit only a few women per profession so that they could have more variety in the group. They had a bank teller, an implement saleswoman, no idea what kinds of implements she sold, but lumber company secretary, dentist and advertising managers in the group. What's cool about this is that, you know, it's been said that architects only become friends with other architects. So I love this. You know, it just keeps getting better and better. I will say that is an eclectic collection of professions. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Emily was the first president of the club and she would be the president for a long time. They would meet for lunch, network, share ideas, listen to lectures and talk about how to push forward women in business. They made a scholarship for women to pursue higher education and they were vocal in promoting equal pay for women. Yes. This is right up our alley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the Detroit Business Club became the model that many organizations look to when they formed their own groups like this for women. And as you can imagine, these groups were critical for women to connect and support each other during a time where their professions were so male dominated. And it also showed opportunities for community service and to become leaders in their city. Yeah, role model club. It's great that she inspired others. First, she spreads sororities, then she spreads networking groups. What's next? Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, and yes. So this club, it was the first of its kind, and it's said to be the oldest in the world. It was the start of... Federation of Business and Professional Women's Clubs, which formed with the merger of Emily's Club and a few others in 1919. And Detroit was the beginning of five branches of national and international business and professional women's organizations. Zonta, Soroptimist, Altruza, Quota, and Pilot. And Emily went on to be active in Zonta. What are these things? I know the names. (laughs) I mean, they sound impressive. Like Greek mythology. (laughs) I we were talking about superhero names. Like (laughs) like, maybe it's because of our previous conversations, but I have cults in my mind. And I was like, oh, "Oh, these are some culty sounding names. But you know, (laughs) not necessarily. I I will say Altrusa. Is that how you say it? I think so. <laughs> yeah, okay. So Altrusa sounds very familiar. I have a feeling we've mentioned them before, but I can't remember. I, I will have to listen to our entire show again. Great. And From see season if one. it comes up. From season <laughs> one. We're back. We'll do. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to Emily's architectural career. All right. So like I said, she started in her dad's office as an apprentice, and eventually she became a partner in the firm, and it became named... Butterfield and Butterfield in 1915. <gasps> yeah. Cute. Okay. I was going to say, I, I wonder, this has to be like our first father daughter duo. I mean, I think it so. is. Um, some of our ladies uh, will have worked with their fathers. I think in the, in maybe like the past seasons in this current season, there will be spoiler, but um, I don't think they would have necessarily changed the name of the firm. Like it wouldn't, they would just like work for their fathers or work with their parents. So this is cute. I like it. 
Yeah, I like this so much because this is usually like a father-son thing to do mm-hmm. or a husband-wife. We've seen a lot of those, yeah. but a father-daughter crew, this is my first time hearing it. Cute. Yeah. I'm remembering now Kate Gleason worked with her dad, but it was different. It was like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so maybe it, it doesn't quite feel the same, though, in terms of like, no, I don't know. No, like equal partner. I don't feel like it was right, like that. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's not the first time we see it on the show, but we really don't see it often. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So their office was right downtown in Detroit. And later they opened another office in Pontiac. And they worked on a variety of project types, schools, homes, stores, factories, and churches. They were really strong Methodists, and so they specialized in church design. Their designs were actually pretty innovative because they moved churches away from just a Sunday gathering space and created a community center type building that would be used all week long, not just Sundays. The churches had offices, kitchens, classrooms, conference rooms, gyms, dining rooms, and recreation areas, which today is a much more common model, but at the time it was pretty novel. I like how Emily is innovating everything everywhere all at once. Yes. (laughs) So in the mid-1920s, Emily and her dad moved to Farmington, Michigan, a suburb of Detroit that is actually really close to where my dad grew up. And it's actually not much farther away from Cranbrook schools, which we've talked about on past episodes. So, you know, connections. Lizzie, these connections to you just keeps getting better and better. (laughs) Connections on connections on connections. That's right. Uh, So the Methodist church in this town had burned down in 1920, and they offered the land that the church was on to Wells in exchange for him designing a new church on a different lot. Wells then sold Emily part of his lot for one dollar, and they each built themselves a house on the two properties. That's so cool and so cute and so sweet for the papa to share the land with Emily. Yeah, I just gotta love a supportive dad. Mm -hmm. I know. Well, anyway, the church they designed in exchange for these plots of land was one of their most well-known projects, the Methodist Episcopal Church in Farmington. Today, it's called First United Methodist Church, but it's still standing, and it's a Michigan historic site. Wells and Emily also designed the Baptist Church in Pontiac, Trinity Methodist in Highland Park, Christ Methodist Church in Inkster, and First Church of Christ in Algonac. Sounds like another ARC venture. Yeah, that's right. Meanwhile, Emily designed the Alpha Gamma Delta Chapter House at Syracuse, right on Comstock Avenue. Ladies, we have seen this house. We walk past it all the time. It's across from Life Sciences and the Ernie Davis dorm. And it's literally called Butterfield House. Uh, what? Shut (laughs) up. Shut up. I used to walk by this house all the time. It wasn't that far from my freshman dorm, Haven Hall. This is so cool. Uh, We were just walking across such important history all (laughs) willy nilly. And then there it is. Butterfield House just waiting for us to realize. But no, it took 10 years after graduating from the joint to know this. There should be a plaque somewhere about it. 
I mean, maybe there is, but it needs to be bigger if it's there. And we should learn more about it on our very first week at Syracuse. I mean, important landmarks around town. Number one, Butterfield House. Yes. (laughs) I know, right? I mean, I'm sure that Alpha Gamma Delta, like they probably know that. Like yeah. the people who are but in the, the sorority, architecture right? schools know that? But I, exactly. Like, why doesn't the architecture school say, hey, actually, one of our graduates designed this sorority house on campus? How inspiring would that be? Right? I know. Come on. Please, Syracuse. Do better. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily also designed another chapter house and an Alpha Gamma Delta summer camp in Jackson, Michigan for underprivileged children. Later, she served as the manager of the camp in the 1930s. Suck it. She's so involved, this one. Mm-hmm. I know. Like a lot of things. All the things. Yes. All the heraldry. Busy at all times. <laughs> the heraldry. <laughs> Armorial whatever. I feel like the heraldry is like the barnstorming yes. of the season mm-hmm. or something. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it is. Sure is. so the other well-known project that she and her dad worked on was the oakland subdivision in farmington hills the subdivision sits at 13 mile road and orchard lake road which is like five miles away from my dad's childhood home fyi emily and her dad each designed seven houses for this development Unfortunately, the depression put a stop to the building of the project, but the homes that did get built are still there today. Yeah, we're going to have to do an adventure here. Mm -hmm. For sure. But bummer about the depression. I know. Well, in 1926, her dad retired from architecture because he became the first mayor of Farmington when they officially became a city and moved up from being a village. Okay, these folks and their retirement plans. You know, my dad is retired. (laughs) You know what he does? He watches Young and the Restless and daytime TV. (laughs) (laughs) You know, everyone has different retirement goals. It's okay. I want to play bingo. But I got to say, I like hearing about architects turned mayors because, you know, I like my people politically involved. True. Very true. (laughs) Well, Emily kept the firm going for a while, but when the depression hit, it became really tough financially to keep the firm open. So she decided to retire from architecture. During her architecture career, she designed 26 churches, many homes and schools, factories, and the summer camp. Aw, man. Told you this is dang depression. Such a Debbie Downer. Okay, but no, Judy, she retires, you know, because it's hard to keep the business up, whatever. But you know that she didn't just, like, stop. Of course not. I mean, her dad retired and became mayor. (laughs) What is she going to do? Run for Senate? Lizzie, tell me she ran for Senate. (laughs) I'm really sorry to tell you that she does not. Oh, it's okay. Mm. It's okay, Emily. So so sorry. She probably did something else amazing. Yeah. Yeah. While she did retire from formal architecture, she kept doing the things, right? She switched to a writing and painting career. Oh, She wrote tons of poems, articles, and even books, like we mentioned. She was the editor of the Alpha Gamma Delta Quarterly and regularly published articles in the House and Garden, Town and Country, and American Home magazines. 
And I spoiled it earlier, like I said, but she published a book called College Fraternity Heraldry in 1931. Whoop, there it is. Googling that now. I hope that when I retire, I could have that kind of like post-retirement life, like writing, painting. I'm going to throw a little bit of gardening in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to make your flowers. Yes. Yeah. Keep that up. So she published a second book in 1933, and it was called The Young People's Story of Architecture. It was a children's book about architecture, and it included many of the sketches that she had done on her sketching trips growing up and stories about her experiences. It was really well received, and people said that she did a great job explaining a really complicated topic to kids. We made a copy of this book. Yes, this (laughs) Is the one we need immediately. Heraldry can wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But in addition to writing, she went back to her love of painting and watercolor. She painted a lot of landscapes and was known for her, quote, meticulous draftsmanship and subtle color schemes. She actually showed her art in quite a few exhibitions, like the J.L. Hudson Gallery, Toledo Artist Club, Scarab Club Algonac, and Sault Ste. Marie. And one of the ones in Toledo was a one-woman show, just her. She had 40 watercolors on display at that show. Wow. This is amazing. A one-woman show? What a great achievement. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. In 1940, Emily moves back to Algonac. She continued to paint and write there, and she taught painting classes for children. And she also apparently had a hobby of bird banding. Oh, it's coming like full circle, like back to teaching, painting. Yeah. What the F is bird banding? Mm. (laughs) Well, I was wondering the same thing. To quote the Smithsonian's National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute, in order to identify and keep track of individual birds, scientists put aluminum or colored bands on birds' legs. Similar to the license plate on your car, each aluminum band is engraved with a unique set of numbers. Bird banding is one of the oldest and most important techniques used for studying and identifying individual birds. So there you go. Important stuff. Well, we really do be learning. We be learning. This episode, stuff. Not, yeah. not just architecture this episode history. Is like <laughs> Geography lesson, bird lesson. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, yeah, Emily would catch birds that flew into her yard and banned them for the U.S. Biological Survey. This lady is cool, but like weird, but like interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All the things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Emily was also a member of the DAR and she was a member of the AIA and the Michigan Society of Architects. A member of all the things. More connections to Lizzie. Mm-hmm. Even though she's not a member of any of those, but in, I'm in not. spirit, <laughs> spirit, but, she could be, and that's she could be. be. She could that's be. That's true. She I has access an, to them all. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. She don't live in Michigan, but you know what I'm saying. You know, yeah. she could. She could she apply could. to the AIA. I could Michigan. I could license, yeah. get licensed she, in Michigan. Maybe she could claim yeah. Michigan Society of Architects and the DAO. Yeah. Yeah. If I got my Maybe. license there, yeah. why not? The DAR, I could be if I wanted to. Yeah, like we but said, you could. You are connected to this lady. If she says that she was like her great, 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 great aunt, I'd be like, yeah, I believe it. 
Now it makes <laughs> total sense. This right? whole episode. So Emily also had a cottage on Nebish Island, which is in the UP, ladies. We're heading up hey. north. Oopa. It's between Lake Superior and Lake Huron. I'll okay. We're gonna hand it again. Okay. Yeah. So we're like this, right? It's mm-hmm. right here at the tippy. In, in the middle finger. Yeah, in at the, the tip of the middle finger, finger. Of the upper part of the Ooh. upper hand. Okay, yeah. got it, got oh. it. So okay. located. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm there. So she would spend her summers there during her retirement, and apparently during World War II, she became the island's postmaster. What? <laughs> A postmaster? <laughs> yeah. This lady is so random. Like, I know. Oh. I kind of love it. I wanted her politically active of some sorts, and there she goes. There she goes. She worked for the federal government, you know? She, yep. I'm not going to lie. I also sort of relate to this lady having, like, weird random hobbies. Like, <laughs> yes. Another connection. <laughs> or just, like, a variety. A variety. Because I was going to say, mm, yours don't sound yeah. that weird. I know, but it's Yet. like, yeah, just... <laughs> Like un, unexpected. <laughs> um, I could see yeah. Lizzie as postmaster. She would be sorting the mail. She yeah. could drive everywhere, and she could so- and sort and sort the things. Exactly. She a lot like of it. organizing. That kind of sounds mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. For you, <laughs> that's ner- that's Lizzie's retirement plan: organizing <laughs> or postmastering. Post-master- yeah, postmastering. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind for my retirement plans. Mm-hmm. Well, Emily passed away at her home in Algonac on March 22nd, 1958. She was 73 years old. Sadly, it sounds like she had a lot of financial troubles towards the end and didn't have much. But I would say that she still lived a really impressive life and gave back so much to children and all of the communities that she was a part of. Well, at first I was going to mention, you know, like what we usually do, like, oh, wow, she did so many things. And it's true. It's she did. She did so much. But now I'm wondering if she did these things because she was just trying to make ends meet. Well, for whatever the reason is, this was still a great story. Yeah, she was altruistic. Even at a young Mm -hmm. age, she enjoyed sharing her talents. I'm so glad that she was able to do so much and all the Mm -hmm. things that she started. And I'm so glad that they exist to this day. Like Jessica said, this is great. Great episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great story. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Yay. Mm -hmm. Well, before we leave you, we have to tell you who our karyotid is for this week's episode. Jessica, can you remind us what a karyotid is? Uh Uh-huh. All right. So for some background, a karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. Each episode will choose a karyotid. A woman who is working today furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Without further ado, this week's karyotid is... <laughs> Beverly <laughs> Hannah Jones! <laughs> Beverly is originally from Detroit and went to Detroit public schools like Emily. She originally went to Michigan State University as a pre-med student, but after taking a few elective drafting courses, she realized that she wanted to pursue architecture instead. 
She decided to transfer mm-hmm. to Lawrence Tech University in their professional practice architectural program so that she could learn business skills as well as architectural skills. She got her Bachelor's of Science in Architecture in 1985 and her Bachelor of Architecture in 1986. Professional practice architectural program? Like, I had no idea that even existed. That is very interesting. Yeah. I wonder how she would apply, like, these business skills with her architecture skills. Me too. I'm hoping she started her own firm. I mean, yeah, right? Spoiler alert. (laughs) Well... After school, she went to work at Albert Kahn Associates, which is a well-known firm in Detroit, and she worked towards her architectural license, which she received in 1991. After working at a few other firms, she decided to open her own firm in 1993 called Hannah and Associates Incorporated. Her firm was the first African-American licensed woman-owned firm in the state of Michigan, and it is still one of only 12 firms in the U.S. that is owned and operated by a black licensed female architect. Wow. Oh, hey. Oh, hey, hey, hey. We need more black women-owned architecture firms. 12 is too little. Yeah. I hope they keep coming. Thank you, Beverly, yeah. for getting the ball rolling and trailblazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the article I read about this that said the 12 firms was from a little over a year ago. So that number could be different. But the point is, it is small. It is too small. And we need more yeah. of them. But Beverly's firm provides architectural interior design and construction related services. They have a wide range of project types, commercial, educational, governmental, healthcare, and even animal shelters. In 2013, her firm decided to partner with Newman Smith Architecture and are now called Hannah Newman Smith. And she's the managing partner. What an interesting variety of project types. And she grew her firm. She partnered up. What up? Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. Outside of her firm, she served on the Michigan Fire Safety Board and has been on the boards of many civic and business organizations. Similar to Emily. I love the connections. Busy at all times, giving back to the community left and right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But the other ways. My head was in the wrong <laughs> directions. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Emily and Beverly along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. She Bills Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, and Gable Media is all about building a better world. There's so many good shows. I love listening to Faces, Entree Architect. The list goes on and on. Tangible Remnants. All of them. <laughs> yeah. Any one of these shows is great and would probably resonate with you. So listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And there's so many more that if I keep going and mentioning, we'll be here two hours. Whole, uh, yeah, it's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so go check them out. Know. Yes, go check them out. Like this show's about to end. Go check them out now. But before you do that, let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, 
Help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your sorority sisters, fraternity brothers, your papas, your business-related organization people that you lunch with, your butterballs, your birds that you be banned in. You know, tell them all to, like, give us five stars on iTunes, write us a review, and this will all help us reach a wider audience, like the birds, and for more people to learn about these amazing (laughs) ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to keep (laughs) We are excited (laughs) We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com Leave a comment on our website shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod Bye! Adios. Bye. Okay, this is like the third time and the countdown always catches us by surprise. I wonder if it takes a picture during the countdown and we're laughing I think it does because we're all like, ah! It's so excited. <laughs>